Welcome to Twin Peaks Rewatch from the Idle Thumbs Network. I'm Chris Remo. I'm Jake Rodkin. This week, we're talking about the 18th episode of Twin Peaks, Dispute Between Brothers. It was directed by Tina Rathborn and written by Trisha Brock. It first aired December 8th of 1990. Uh, so on this week's episode, we see Leland Palmer's wake. Uh, Cooper plans to leave Twin Peaks, but is put on suspension. Uh, famed food critic M.T. Wentz is revealed. And we uh, we find out how much Ben Horn really cares about Bobby Briggs. Also, all soap opera subplots return in, to in maximum force. effect. <laughs> yep. Yeah, when you were writing out, like, what happened this week? Oh, there was the Cooper stuff, the, like, whatever. And just, like, the list suddenly was like, yeah. also. Nadine, uh, there's, like, Bobby and Leo, there's Catherine, uh, there's Lucy, Andy, and Dick, uh, M.T. Wentz, uh, Hank Ernie, and Jean, uh, Josie's there. Yeah, but yeah, what is like Josie's back. Everyone's back. You thought yep. someone was gone? They're back. Yep, they're definitely back. <clears throat> Even Jacoby is back this Jacoby's week. Jacoby's back. We mentioned last week that Jacoby had been gone this season. So was this episode both written and directed by a woman? That must be the first episode of Twin Peaks I about which that's the, case, that's the yeah. case. Yeah, that's cool. Yep. Uh, so I would – so – this episode, I don't know, do you have anything to say over, over overall about this? I mean, definitely, we're back to tons of subplots, and I would say a high degree of melodrama in this episode. Actually, let me see if I can find, there was a quote from the director of this episode. Oh, cool. Tina Rathborn. From Tina Rathborn that uh, Lost in the Movies posted on the forums. Tina Rathborn directed this episode, as well as the Laura's funeral episode. Okay, cool. She said... Um, That's about- interesting. I wonder <laughs> if that was intentional. Yeah, I wonder that too. <clears throat> That was a good episode. It was. She said about this episode, My episode needed to have been an explosion, an unexpected rocket that was launched that would carry us through, and the FBI firing Cooper is definitely not that. It's more about him saying goodbye than it is uh, recommencing from a story standpoint. I don't feel... It didn't feel powerful enough to regenerate the audience's feeling of where's the puzzle. The emotion had gone out of it for me. When I did my episode, I was not very compelled to see the series to the end. Laura's funeral scene was a really huge emotional well, whereas Leland's wake I felt was pretty incidental emotionally. So to me, the two of them aren't in the same realm. The death of Leland carries the same weight as Laura Palmer, yet her funeral was not played for any humor. The old brothers fighting in the wake sticks out to me as strange, which was a precursor to a lot of the -the over-the-top humor. A lot of over-the-top humor, excuse me. It feels like one of the moments where Twin Peaks changes. I totally agree with that. I completely agree with that. I think that's a really, like, self-aware description of of the thing that and she did and that is apparently from reflections and oral history of twin yeah Peace. i have that i have that book okay. and i need to read it um uh so yes i totally agree with that i mean i think she I, I think she's it's interesting that she says laura's funeral wasn't played for laughs and it's true that it wasn't overall but it still had comic dark humor in it the Leland like the, jumping the in and casket it, going crazy with Leland mm-hmm. on it is so different from a tonal standpoint oh, totally than is. those old guys yeah. getting in a fight. Yes. The wake at, yeah, the fucking Statler and Waldorf of Twin Peaks, like just exploding out of nowhere. What a strange, what a strange thing. Um, so that, that whole scene was, um, odd to me in that I think to her point, it didn't really serve a purpose. I, cu- I couldn't figure out what the point of any of that was. It was just a bunch of characters. Sit- okay. There's actually one thing I liked about it. Um, 
which was the, and I guess this was, must've been her touch, a directorial touch was the camera's really close attention to all the, like really gross kind of Midwestern, just like casserole food, not gross, but like food that is, that is heavy and rich. Yeah. This, this episode was actually a Lord of insert shots and establishing shots. They were all good. Absolutely. Yes. You're totally right about that. I completely agree. And there was something about the, the, the wake held for what a strange event, right? A wake for this man who was a murderer and also the locus of this weird supernatural, uh, force that, exerts itself on twin peaks but everyone's there right right? everyone's there kind of in relatively good spirits the whole thing is odd and i just really liked the camera lingering on like on top of all this everyone's just indulging in just like the gross this like (laughs) indulgent food i mean they're indulging in indulgent food and like i there was something about that that i thought was really like kind of worked well in context in a way that all the, most of the stuff in the wake that came after, I thought just seemed could have been any, it could have taken place in any scene with a bunch of people at Twin Peaks. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the scene with the old man, the old man fighting Cooper says like, I'm really going to miss this place or something, which makes it feel like they were trying to just like give Cooper one last weird Twin Peaks thing to observe before Mm -hmm. he leaves to make him say that. But it did, it did not work for me. And to your point about establishing shots before the, the wake itself, um, there's a really great opening shot of the road going a road going through the forest, which I thought was just really beautiful and and really evocative. Do you remember, I don't know if you remember that. It was the, oh, that's first, like the opening shot. It's just yeah, that it was long, the opening that shot of long, the long, long shot of yeah, the woods yeah, yeah. with the sort mm-hmm. of dusty mm-hmm. leaf covered road, and then it just cuts straight to Laura's portrait. Which I think, which I think was might have been uh, superimposed over that. Maybe was Piper Laurie as Catherine Mortel. Yes. No Tajamura. <laughs> finally. Close the door on that. Close, well, it's, close it's, the book it, on that. It one. reveals all the parallels between Leland Palmer and Tajimura. In fact, extend to their presence in the opening credits. <laughs> um. Oh, and then the uh, another shot I liked of this man. You're really right about this. I was having a lot of good insert shots and establishing shots because another thing I really liked about that is after the forest scene, we get um, a shot of the Palmer mantle with the, both the classic sort of prom queen picture of Laura, but also a picture of young Leland mm-hmm. that I don't remember seeing before. That no, was it feels great, like it was just put up for, yeah, for that was really great because that shows Ray wise younger than he ever is in the show. Yeah. Uh, which was, you know, obviously completely identifiably still him. Um, really, really, really cool image. And then another new thing, uh, three days, a uh, three days later caption. I don't remember seeing that. In no, this is the first time I think the show has jumped. It yeah. still has only been a couple of weeks, it seems like, or three weeks at Yeah, most. it's been two or three weeks in total, the entire series, yeah. But, yeah, this was the first big jump. Yeah. Um, I don't know, do you want to just keep, I guess, just talk about this opening stuff, maybe? All the stuff that happens at the beginning of the episode through the wake is kind of disconnected from any of the other core threads, really, right? It's just sort of stuff that establishes everything that's to come. Yep. Um, and it was, we see uh, Dr. Hayward treating Sarah Palmer, um, and she declines this treatment, but the implication is that, um, or the implication that's basic, I guess not even an implication, it's basically stated by Hayward that Leland, like, drugged her to keep her unaware of the things he was doing. Right. And now she's like, I just want to be present for everything, yeah, for right. all this, every part of yeah, me. Has to yeah. Be so she's, she developed an addiction because of that, and yeah. she wants, yeah. Um, we get another classic shot of that ceiling fan over the staircase. Yep. Classic. It's been a while. I guess that's I true. guess it's been a while. It's been a couple but weeks. But it was good to have that ceiling fan kind of just be representative of, like, it felt like it was sort of Sarah 
mm-hmm. thinking about that stuff about yeah. about the yep. past now. Like, ah, it's good. Mm-hmm. That fucking fan. Excuse me. Pardon my language. Chris. No, it's okay. Uh, another thing I wanted to say about the, I mean, so that's it. And then they go to the wake. Um, did you notice the, inc- I thought that one of the strangest music choices in the entire series to date or not to date, but to the point at which we're speaking now was there was this just ongoing, very, very melodramatic musical score. And then seemingly without any, with, without any actual like sync up, they just fade in the jazz drum like there's like the drum ramping stuff yeah yeah when certain characters are on screen very weird it it just it yeah, felt really, like it was like trying to add rhythm to the scene but it just worked against everything that was yeah, going on yeah it was strange I, I it, that. it was I, just kind of in furthered the sensation for me of that whole scene feeling kind of out of place and yeah that, with that whole that whole wake scene bummed me out because again kind of like um i guess it was just last week all of the big sort of parlor room meeting scenes, it it was nice in the wake just to see the cast of Twin Peaks all actually in the same place in the same right. storyline again. Mm-hmm. But the things that they were doing were everyone was just kind of being weird. And like the pairings of the characters were weird. I felt yeah, like the it was pairings just, of the characters. About it was weird. So there were so we get these all these weird pairings. So we get we get Mrs. Hayward, Sarah, and Sarah Palmer and Audrey Horn all sitting talking together the three of them we've definitely never seen right we've right. never seen the three of them talk before yeah I mean, and then donna and ed they're basically three different generations of women which is kind of interesting i guess yeah um uh yeah and then donna talking to ed first time since sarah pointed out to me that uh they talked in the pilot episode but have not since then okay i don't know if jacoby and major briggs have been together or not but that's another one where it's like First, I was like, oh, Jacoby's back. Also, he's... Maybe in the roadhouse? Yeah, maybe. But, like, it's just, it feels like a lot of these characters who... And, again, like, it was nice to see them all, and it was also interesting to see them all talk to each other, but it also... This is maybe jumping one step beyond this, because everyone knows Laura, but the show has kind of gone out of its way to show that everyone knows Laura, but not everyone knows each other. Mm-hmm. But yes. none of these scenes are about no one knowing anyone else. These are all just people who we've never right. or rarely see on screen together, all yeah. just having casual conversations yep. as if they know each other the way that we know them. Mm-hmm. And I don't like that totally very right. much. Yeah. But that could also be part of the contribu- contribution to the sort of soap opera feel of this episode. I think you're totally right about that. I think I think that is I think that is the case. Um, what else? Oh, God. Okay. Also, uh, one quick note about this: Pete looks pretty good in a suit. Very. Dapper. Oh man, <laughs> dapper Pete. Yeah. Um, okay. The way that this ends was bizarre to me. The, the ending of the wake was strange. It's you, there's this incredibly cheesy, very melodramatic music that's still going the whole time. Like whether or not the jazz shuffle drums are there, this like underlying, very melodramatic score is playing. And then there's just a very quick freeze frame on Cooper smiling and then it does the commercial break fade. Right. It yeah. was the craziest. It was so strange in the wake of, anyway, funeral for weird rapist murderer Leland Palmer. Boop, boop. Like, cut the commercial. It was bizarre. Right. I want to see on YouTube the, like, the VHS recording of this episode that shows exactly like, the Folgers right. commercial that comes on right <laughs> exactly, after that. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. I couldn't help but, but think of that as I was watching this. There are... Some episodes of Twin Peaks really don't, in in their editing, don't explicitly call to mind the commercial break format, but some of them really do. 
you most of them i would say don't th- yeah, very egregiously the fade outs for a commercial feel like a filmic fade out yeah exactly but sometimes but sometimes they will talk that about really this later fade out, fade like, out mm. after a punch like a little yep stinger and it's man it's not my favorite anyway that's that's the wake um so the main thread, I, I guess, that, so there's a, a lot of threads this episode, as I said. The big Most thing of is kind know, of Cooper leaving yeah, an internal investigation, yes, though. Yes, exactly. That's, that's the main thing. Um, so I guess, that, I guess that sort of kicks off by, there's the wake, and then... It starts with Audrey with checking Audrey, in on exactly, him. Exactly, Audrey coming by and, and realizing that he's leaving. Yeah. Yeah. That whole thing, I thought, was pretty... I'm not crazy about, all of, about Cooper's, like, stoic, I lost somebody... Now I can never love again. Like crap. I'd- well, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that, Chris. Because get ready. <laughs> yeah. Again, it was like it was nice to see Cooper and Audrey sharing a scene together because it, like it's so few and far between mm-hmm. at this point. But the contents of it felt kind of forced and flat to me throughout the the, the whole thing. It's just really tired writing, right? It's like we've seen that. It's such a. It's like. But then, man, Audrey just f- puts the cherry on top of the whole thing by saying. That's the one problem with you. You're perfect as she yeah, leaves. Right. Where yep. it's like, yep. oh my god, <sighs> yeah. He yeah. just <laughs> he just gives you this huge lecture about how his life is terrible and about how he's the worst and how about everything's terrible. And she's just like, you're perfect. Bye. Yep. I'm like, well, <laughs> it's better than a lot of other things that could go on. But uh, I don't know. Yeah, I, I wasn't. I'm not crazy about either of theirs. <laughs> no, it felt like it was <laughs> just like, just <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was badly injured and my partner lost his mind. Just, just I, all that stuff. Oof. Yeah. Um, it feels like Colin McLaughlin does the best that he can with that stuff, but it's so like drifting off of the strengths of his portrayal of Cooper. Yeah, I agree. Um, man. Then when he goes to the station to leave and <laughs> Truman gives him this like fly lore and starts talking about fish sex and green butt skunks. Like what a weird, what a crazy, just little, that like, was as close as you can get to like, to a love scene between Cooper and Harry Truman where like the music was a little bit romantic. Yep, like the framing yep. was all very intimate. Yep. And then he was like, they only got one thing on their mind, sex. Yep. You got to distract them with this green butt skunk. <laughs> what, what is happening? And then, oh man, when, okay. So <laughs> there's the moment when Truman gives him the, the bookhouse boys patch and it really honestly looks like Cooper basically is about to cry in that moment. Mm-hmm. It's really, it's like, a little, it's kind of sweet. It's a nice little moment. Yep. Man, they were really playing the, like, Cooper's Leaving Twin Peaks thing with this whole, I mean. Oh, yeah. Including, yes. like, him bringing back his whistle to call, the like, the sheriff's department to attention, basically, right. before he, like, <laughs> before he says his goodbyes. Man, when he, so, when he, uh, when he get like, when he's intercepted, basically, by the internal affairs guy, when he's leaving, we get we talked about this kind of shot a couple times. Sometimes it's Cooper, and sometimes it's Truman, and this time it was Cooper. Where, as I recall, the camera does like a quick zoom up to Cooper with this like, <laughs> like, like square, nodding square jaw, like right, ga- just, gazing into you just know, like a dragnet shot, basically, right, just like exactly, and then another like perfect cut to commercial. Like, oof, what a weird episode this <laughs> yeah. is. Like, yeah, it could be a commercial cut directorial choice from an episode of inspector gadget or something yeah and then they come back and he and and uh and the guy with with the you know there's the internal affairs agent and the, and the mountie and the mountie because it's twin and, peaks because it's twin peaks and then the the agent is i'll require you to surrender your gun and your badge like what a, this episode is so strange it it's really interesting considering all this stuff 
in the context of those comments you read by Tina Rathborn, because I can really imagine being the, I mean, I can't imagine being a TV director because I don't, I've never been that or don't know very much about it, but I can, in a general sense, I can imagine being in a situation where you have to provide this, all this setup and all this sort of closure, sort of, uh, set up in the disguise of closure, but you're not given the stuff you're given to do right. it is like, so like there's, there's it there's being no, set up in the disguise of closure is entirely what's going on too. That's really, that's the succinct thing. Yeah, exactly. Like there's not any, time, but it means that there's nothing. Exactly. Yeah. There's nothing really there. Cause neither of those things is actually what's happening. It's actually really more right. just, it, it makes continue, the, it makes the closure unsatisfying and the setup unsatisfying. Right. Exactly. Like I'm not getting what I want out of Cooper's goodbye, but also I don't care about yeah. this new thing that you're yeah. saying. And so I feel like I can hardly like, blame her for the way it's turned out because it's such a it's such a nothing the substance underneath is just so thin you know there's so many shots of just there's so many scenes that are so pat you know i don't know it's uh, i don't mean to dump on it too no, much. no it's but. tough though because the just the overall sort of structural choices they made for how to put leland's story to bed and how to launch this new stuff you can just feel themselves with each episode digging themselves deeper and deeper into the just like oh shit there's no, like there's what do you do? Right. Well, the thing that you do apparently is introduce like either introduce or reintroduce like eight other subplots. Yeah. All, I mean, it's just this episode. It's crazy. It's, it's it hurts so much though, because early in season two, there's all those subplots going on mm-hmm. and it starts to feel a little draggy. And then it sort of finds focus for like right. three or four episodes. Mm-hmm. Like the, the ones where, you know, Leland is the killer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now they're like, yeah, well, that's great. done. Let's just spin back out of that. Like into the same spiraling right. pattern we were in before, but like mm-hmm. maybe going the other direction now, basically. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh man. When Cooper's told to turn in his gun and his badge, uh, and then Harry like stands up for him and all that stuff. Right. But the thing that made me bummed out about the entire thing is when he gave Cooper that stupid bookhouse boys, like teardrop finger gesture on his way out the oh, door. I know. Yeah, it's like, right. Oh no. <laughs> oh no. Yep. <laughs> but whatever. It's- Whatever. <laughs> Cooper and Truman are a strong thing in this episode, but in the face of many things that are not quite so strong. Yep. But they couldn't resist going out with that teardrop. Know, yeah, yeah. The cowboy thing. <clears throat> um, so the other stuff that I have kind of in my list of things that are part of this general thread, I don't know if I, maybe they're not, I don't, I don't know. I mean, there's, there's the sort of, um, denouement of this, I guess, with Cooper just sort of hanging out at the campfire with Major Brit. Like the, the episode kind of ends with this stuff, with the Cooper thread. Um, post, I, I don't know. Yep, it's this. They're, they're in, in, as they introduce this Cooper thread, they're really like really starting to ratchet up the focus on the mythology stuff. Yep. This is interesting because I think um, this is another thing that Lost in the Movies posted that I thought was great. Mm-hmm. He posted an excerpt from the script that wasn't filmed, hmm. which is way more about specifically talking about Leland and Bob and putting that thread to bed. And it feels like they just cut that stuff out. Oh. And I thought it was interesting. Um, I don't know if I should read the whole thing or not. Well, yeah, I don't know. It's your, it's your call. Let me see how long this is. It's not that long. Um, it goes back and forth between Cooper and Major Briggs, starting with Cooper saying, uh, Major, this is a fascinating concept. The other side of love is not hate, but fear. And then Briggs says, absolutely, and fear is the absence of love. Cooper says, for yourself as well, Briggs, 
All perceptions or conditions must begin with the self. They put their marshmallows. Oh, they put their marshmallows over the fire. Cooper says. <laughs> so when I let fear into my life, I'm not loving myself. And Briggs says, "You're in direct contradiction to a state of loving acceptance, incapable of it. Direct denial." Um, and Cooper says, "Major Briggs, if I may ask a personal question, do you love yourself?" He says, "Very much." Cooper uh, is fascinated and rota- uh, rotates his marshmallow on the fire. And oh, then Cooper just says, "Then it stands to reason that Leland Palmer didn't." And Major Briggs says one could draw that conclusion. I think that's like a good mm, – Yeah, that dialogue is stronger to me and more on point for those characters than the stuff they chose to actually put in the scene. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's also stronger than the stuff last episode yes. about Bob and Leland Palmer. Yeah, and same. Like I, that, that was like, oh, man, it's a bummer that that isn't the, like, the conclusion to draw about this stuff. Yeah. But yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, and then that, that scene with Truman and – Briggs ends with a crazy white flash of light, and I you guess mean Cooper and Briggs. I mean Cooper and Briggs, and Truman's also there. No, Cooper and Briggs, and then the end of the well, there's episode. like those quick steady cam shots running through the woods, right? That was yeah. kind of similar to the Bob steady cam. Mm-hmm. There's an owl watching Cooper pee. Yeah, and then a huge light shines that yeah. looks like the light that we see when mm-hmm. Cooper has his visions, but then mm-hmm. it seems like the major has disappeared. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which means absolutely nothing. <laughs> <laughs> That felt like it was such a cool thing as an idea, but yeah. without any context for for it. Man. Yeah. What if Major Briggs had erased himself, like had dis- whatever, not erased himself, had been erased from this episode halfway through the episode? What a better episode this would be. <laughs> like, I don't know. If Cooper was planning to say goodbye to everyone, had his night fishing thing with Briggs, Briggs disappears, and then Cooper is kicked out of the FBI... That's, After that, you mean? Uh, yeah, like if those mm-hmm. things, if they flip right. that stuff, it right. would probably be a more compelling episode. Yeah, you're probably right. But I don't know. Sure. Because there's there's no time to marinate in that or understand what it actually means, so the episode ending on it just feels like such a clunker to me. Yeah. It really bums me out. That's the way, I feel like that's such a common television thing, though, when series start to transition into, this, I, this happens, right? This happened with the X-Files as well. I would say Lost, where the, when the showrunners realize that to keep the thing going the way they're going to do it is by really doubling down on the sort of long-term like lore mythology stuff. This is just what happens. You start getting a lot of episodes that just introduce a crazy wacky thing at the end. And then that's, that's your end of your episode. Right. And it's like, you have no reason why it's supposed to be a cliffhanger or why it's supposed to be suspenseful. Like, Holy Other shit. than that, it's like, what is this? You know, yeah. it's whatever, right? It's just yeah. whatever the thing is where a thing happens that is strange and then that's it. But it happens. It's like Deus Ex Machina, right? It just happens out of nothing. It's not, it's. Yeah. It's a bummer. I feel like the, yeah, the tendency to end with a twist like that seems like it is often a mistake where just make the episode about that and you're probably actually making a better episode. Yeah. And which is exactly what they did with, the revelation of Leland Palmer, where yeah, that three so episodes strong. worth of that. So good too. Yeah. Totally not treated as like a one-off cliffhanger. Not yep. that this stuff is a one-off. This stuff extends for a long time, but, <laughs> but they really like the, right. The, it's not, instead of being, instead of it being, you'll never guess what happens next. It's, Oh my God, this happens next. Now right. deal with it next week. Exactly. Like, that's, yeah, I think, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, I think it's a good, good distinction. Yeah. It's, know. Um, but whatever, Twin Peaks. <laughs> it was 25 years ago, so there's no need to like armchair critique Twin yeah. Peaks' cliffhangers. Oh, what if they had changed this thing about this thing? Yeah, who cares? Um, so there's the the Bobby Shelley and Leo stuff. 
there's there's a really I don't know if you want to talk about that. That's just one of the other major Bobby threads Lichelli. running through this. Yeah, well, this stuff this stuff was good just because of Bobby Bobby trying to play grown up for the first time in the most oh, yeah, like the most real it. version of it that we've ever seen on camera, and it's basically just him being carried out of an office by two goons. Yep. Well, there, it's also he's just getting swatted down at every turn because uh, at the beginning, you know, he's well. Okay, so two things about him at the beginning of the episode in wearing that suit, he's got his hair cut, slicked back. Um, there's, there's a great like little zing from Shelly where she's like, Leo just got that suit fits him a little tighter. Yep. Like, Oh, super good for one thing. Um, and then also, uh, when he is telling her, you know, if I land this job with Ben Horn or on easy street, I'll take care of you in ways you never dreamed of. Meanwhile, he's saying this wearing a suit with slicked back hair and an untied tie chewing his chewing gum, allowing Bobby Briggs to reach levels of sleaze and sliminess heretofore, like, unimagined yep. in this character. It's just, like, he is taking all of the things that he already just, like, yep. this just ooze out of his pores, except now he's cladding them in a cheesy suit yep. and, and a cheesy haircut. My God. It's- and then the the... The honesty and forethought of his words are completely just brought to bear by Shelley being like, oh, cool, we can go out sometime. I'll wear a nice dress. And he's like, no, 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 you stay, take, keep taking yeah. care of Leo. <laughs> like, oh, good. Really? <laughs> yep. Really, really doing it, Bobby. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. This whole thing is just then the misadventures of Bobby Briggs. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there's a ton to talk about in the other there's stuff. There's not. I mean, it was what... I, ben Horn saying there's a fly in my room was really enjoyable. I know. That was really funny. Coming well, coming through it, you hear it like from the inside of the room, yep. right? It was really, you don't even really see him. You just say, there's yeah. a fly in my room. And I know. Then I really liked the way that was just shot. dragged out yeah. by goons. That yeah, was really that funny. That was good. Um, <laughs> the weird just like interaction with Audrey, I don't really know what to make of that when she's... I mean, is she coming on to him? I don't really know what that is. Like, copper cone and she's like, cone, I like to lick. Yeah, well, it was just a flirty thing. Yeah. Um, I, the, the, my favorite thing in this whole thread was, um, Shelly on the phone with Bobby wondering why he's taking so long. And then Leo rolls forward in his wheelchair, like a foot. That really and, nice, like foreground horror movie. Yeah. Role. Really, really good. And she doesn't notice the entire time he's moving. She doesn't, she doesn't notice, notice until, until he, she after just looks back and he's in a different yeah, place. I really like that. I yeah. thought that was really effective and really creepy. I mean, there, this is another thing that they're doing really well in terms of the slow burn is really dragging out this like, Leo what's thing. up with Leo? Yeah, basically. but in a, but in a way that doesn't feel like they're magnifying nothing because they're not because it's just really little subtle things each right. time. It's He'll like just, sometimes it's comical, sometimes it's really creepy, sometimes it's a combination of the two. Yep, and they're and they're doing all these things, but it's never like there's never a <laughs> wink about what could be going on. They're not trying to like project an end point of this arc. It's just sort of like, I mean, in the immediate moment of these episodes, it's basically Shelley's life is just a terrible, creepy mess. Like it is actually just kind of the, all kinds of horror combined into one where she's Mm -hmm. like this, this traumatic experience that also then just has the elements of a horror movie of this basically corpse. (laughs) Yeah. Right. This immobile thing coming to life at the same time. No, one of the reasons that I think they, I think it works so well is because, you know, they established at the beginning of this whole thread, you know, several episodes ago that he is going to be there in this weird comatose state for the immediate, for the foreseeable future. Right. Until he dies, basically. Right. But obviously they're not going to make that the plot if he literally just sits there and doesn't move 
every episode. Right, but the for way the that they're the, the way they're teasing yeah. stuff out, you don't know exactly what's going to happen. Exactly, which is really and good. I think it's like, really from effective. episode to episode, and you yes. don't know the end trajectory. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I really like that stuff. Um, so that, that's that. I think there. Yeah. Um, there's uh, there's Nadine. If you want to talk about that, <clears throat> we're going in full force on the Nadine storyline this episode. I guess <laughs> it's true. So yeah. is Jacoby only in the show now as to to be part of the Nadine storyline? He was also. You can see his. Uh, he was he was at the wake. Yeah, but I mean that doesn't doesn't mean anything because everyone is at the wake. Yeah, it's it's so sad that they brought Jacoby back after Laura's story was over. Yeah, I know. But yeah, Nadine's going to high school now. She's making the cheerleader team, I guess, by doing amazing stunts and throwing I know, a guy into a volleyball net, throwing a guy like twenty yards. <laughs> and then when she throws her hands in the air in celebration, it makes like a cheesy shimmering yep. sound effect. Like, what is going on? <laughs> what is this show? Oh, so this. Oh, and then also at the cheerleading oh, practice, no. we're totally back to like fifties rock and roll teen. Yep. Time. <laughs> the thing that actually would have saved. Actually, you know what? I didn't think about. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to keep interrupting you. <laughs> a funny thing about that is that I guess that music is maybe like contemporaneous to Nadine actually being in high school. Yeah, maybe. I don't know if that's intentional or not, but that would have been her era, probably. If this was the 90s, yeah, early so, 90s. No, that would have been. It would, nah, it's, that would still, have been it's still. It's still early. It's still, still way too early. Yeah, it's yeah. Way, the, I was thinking 70s. No. The thing that. <clears throat> I thought repeatedly during this episode because the soap opera stuff comes on so strong that would have actually justified so much more of this is if Invitation to Love had come back in this episode. Oh my god, you're right. I can't believe it didn't. Man, I think Invitation wow. to Love might just be gone. Or now that we've said that, I maybe we'll remember. summon it into being next yeah. week like we did Dr. Jacoby. But <laughs> yeah, if this episode had an Invitation to Love storyline that was about a regressive character or like the doctor comes back to the hospital after years right. away, yeah, like, yeah. man... I would, oh, have, would have been just been like, so okay, good. everything's fine, Twin yeah. Peaks, if you just mm-hmm. if they'd put that stuff in. Yeah. But. Oh, well. Yeah. Man, what a wasted opportunity. How strange. Because, yeah, they go so deep on soap opera stuff because. Yeah. <sighs> Invitation to Love ends up being a lot less present than I kind of remember it being in my mind. It's because it's so potent at the beginning. It really it's just is. Like, yeah. It's so good. All those, like, all the Jade Emerald stuff. The oh. most extreme one of the guy getting shot when Leo's getting shot. Yeah, it's I know. Just, oh, <laughs> man. So- but like, huh? It's strange that they just dropped that. Yeah. Oh well, bummer. Um, what else do, do I have here? Uh, there's the Catherine stuff. Um, there's not that much to say there. There's you know if she visits Truman, and has this whole like I believe in angels thing. Um, that really was. That was one of the sort of high melodramatic moments in this episode. But of yep. course she's Catherine, so who knows what she's actually up to? Right. She does. It was delivered well, even though it was insane. It was, yeah. Um, she brings up Pearl Lake, which, as I recall, is the place where Leland... Is that where she went to hide? Yeah. Right? Isn't that what she said? I don't remember her saying Pearl Lake, which she might have. I thought so. Huh. Which is where Leland grew up. He talked about that. But she just walked through the woods yeah, I'm to not get saying, there. I don't, I'm not saying there's like a real significance or connection, but huh. that's, I'm pretty sure they use the same place name. And I'm sure it was intentional, even if it's not Strange. meant to imply I, some like hugely he- consequential I don't remember hearing that connection. audio said at all, but maybe it hmm. was. <clears throat> huh. Um, so there's Lucy, Andy, and Dick. Yeah. There's really not. I mean, this is just, this is, we're, we're now in back down into the section of sort of just like one scene People updates one scene. to, to, uh, yeah. to these threads. I mean, the, Dick the wants M- to step the, it up and the MT Wentz, Norma, Hank. That's true. That's Ernie a little, thing. Cause that had at least two scenes across those two true. threads. That's true. You're right. But so man, get this huge reveal giant giant reveal whatever laura palmer mystery 
We've all been wondering who MT Wentz is. It turns out that it's Norma's mom and has been all along. The only person who had a snooty opinion about food and accommodations turns out to be the food and accommodations critic. <laughs> yep. I didn't like this stuff very much. Um, I thought it was, I thought it kind of did a disservice to Norma. It just, it felt like it flattened their whole, their whole relationship out. Like Norma and her mom had actually been like a, a thing you could buy as a relationship. And this was just like, well, you actually suck. And I, it's a, it's actually about ethics. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I, yeah, I was a bummer. I thought that that was a bummer to me because I, I, you know, as I've said in past episodes, I feel like Norma and the way that she's portrayed is some of the. I would say some of the subtler stuff in, in Twin Peaks in terms of character character portrayals. Yep. And uh, it's just stuff felt very... It's like, also strange pat. that every single person in the entirety of the show, including people outside the town, have said that Norma's food is some of the best food they've ever tasted. And right. her mom just shits on it, and Norma just kind of takes it. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't feel like an exceptional moment to yeah. me. Like, it feels like it just violates mm-hmm. all things that we know about Norma as a person mm-hmm. and just plot-based facts about the stuff that, like, the right. whole first season yep. was just obsessed with the quality of like the mm-hmm. things prepared there. I don't know. It didn't like, no, that doesn't I, mean anything, but no, it was I just know. like, I agree. Just like, and even right. And yeah. I, to- I totally agree. Um, and if, and yeah, it, it doesn't, it's the, not sold very well. I, I completely agree with you. Yeah. Right. It's, it feels very contrived. And I guess on the flip side of this relationship, Hank and Ernie, that's his name, right? Yeah. Ernie, the professor Niles. They're involved with Jean Renault now in mm-hmm. some sort of scheme. And Ernie just like jumps into it, presumably out of self-preservation, I would think. Yeah. Like reading the room kind of thing more than anything else. Yep. Yeah. Is he okay. Any- so am I crazy? Is the Mountie who, who comes in that Jean, that Jean Renault brings in, that is the same Mountie That's what I from thought. earlier in the episode, I right? thought it was the same actor, but it could just be another blonde mustached, like vaguely 70s yeah. looking man. I didn't check the credits and I should have. Yeah. All my, all my memories of, you know, we've both seen Twin Peaks before, obviously, but like, man, but by this point, we're getting so far out into the weeds that my memories of this stuff are very vague. Yeah. Yep. I, I, at this point, so at this point, I would say each episode, at the point we are now, and this will probably continue through most of the rest of the second season until the end, until the, the last few episodes anyway, um, I would guess probably... 60% of the stuff I basically remember and 40% of it per episode is just it's like, I might as well this be watching be. it for the first yeah, well, time. <laughs> Where's this go? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. I had the same thought and I didn't write that down, but yeah, I was like, that's the same guy, is it? Yeah. We'll find out, I guess. Yep. It's probably the same guy. That's probably, there's probably a Mountie who's working for Jean Renault who's involved in a takedown of Cooper. He was really empty once. Everyone's empty ones. <laughs> We're all empty ones. Um, then there's Josie returns, and that's it. That's the entirety of Josie thread is that she collapses through Truman's front door. Also, the Basically fact that she collapses through Truman's front door, then Truman collapses onto Josie, and it's right. gross. Yeah, I know. He so he's the he's the sheriff of this town. She like she didn't. How, who's right outside? Like. Did she come in a car? Was she dropped off there? Was she just get beat up? Like, right. look outside, policeman. Like, open the door and see why also, she's collapsing through your door. the person you thought was killed in the mill fire has revealed to you that they're alive. And the owner of that mill who disappeared under mysterious circumstances <laughs> is back. Anyway, just press your body against hers on the floor. <laughs> like, god damn it. Yep. Truman's the one who should be under investigation. And Cooper, really, for crossing international lines <laughs> and shooting people. Like, that's also totally justifiable, I think. Yeah, I know, I know, it is. 
Actually, there was a lot of that this episode. I feel like Twin Peaks does this whenever anyone has to deal with like bureaucracy or the law, the sort of house reaction of Twin Peaks. And when I say Twin Peaks, I mean like the authorial voice of the show is generally to just scoff at it, right? Like it's totally reasonable for Cooper to face uh, to face internal investigation for crossing international borders, stepping outside his jur- jurisdiction and conducting like an unauthorized uh, uh, operation that like in which multiple people wind up dead. That's a reasonable thing to investigate, I think. Um, then there's like the way that the MT Wentz uh, Norma stuff is played, which I think just basically twists the sin- the situation into one where the characters just ha- basically like, okay, so I just don't like that they set up a thing that forces the show to basically just say, and anyway, critics are assholes because it is true that if you're actually a critic, you shouldn't give a good review to your daughter just Just because because she's your daughter. But also the show just decides to make that happen just to make a critic look like an asshole. But like, as you say, the show sets up the expectation that like, as far as diners go, this one's actually a really great one. So presumably any honest critic reviewing it would say, if you're in the mood for diner food, this is the place to go. Like how many other diners are there in twin peaks? Like, right. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, don't go to this one. Why not? Like the whole thing just seems set up. Eat just that to, dry salmon at the right. great Northern instead. Right. Exactly. The whole thing just seems set up to allow a character to kind of nobly like push back against the, the um, kind of shitty forces of, of criticism and bureaucracy. Um, and then, I had another example in mind and I already forget what it was, but, but it's, there's definitely a, um, Oh, my other example was the, uh, the, um, hearing stuff with, was it Stonewood? What was the guys? Sternwood, you know, where, whereas there's, there's, uh, the show definitely takes this general attitude of like this upstanding citizen of twin peaks, right. like shouldn't matter. It's like, shouldn't make any difference. Um, and not that not and the only reason I bring it up is because I feel like it's a it's just kind of a very like uninteresting perspective for a piece of popular media to present, which is just that like whenever someone tells whenever like you have to butt up against the rules or the way things work, like if it's the person that if it's the character you're sympathetic to, then it sucks. Like the rules are right. are just keeping you down. Like it's just kind of a like a pander, I feel like it's a very pandering perspective and I'm, I've already spent too many words on that, but uh, yeah, I will stop now. It turns out in a twist that maybe reveals uh, how pure the ethics are of empty Wentz. She gave a glowing review to that shitty diner in deer meadow where <laughs> Teresa Banks works. <laughs> maybe she just has bad taste. Yeah. I mean, it could be. Famed critics, empty Wentz, garbage. Um, so that's all I have really for this for the the core of this episode. Yeah, same. Yeah. Do you want to do some reader mail? Yeah. Cool. I think we should. I think we should listen to what they have to say. All right. So um, <clears throat> let's see here. Uh, Christian Craig writes, "Hey guys, you touched on something on the episode of uh, the episode seventeen podcast." Regarding the possibility of the series going the, going in the direction of shows like The Fall and the possible downfall of it becoming a cat and mouse game, but I felt having watched episode seventeen, they had a perfect opportunity of wrapping up who killed Laura Palmer and opening up other plot threads, yet keeping Leland secret from the other characters. Having Ben Horn be arrested and charged with the murder, having Catherine allow him to take the rap, and having the case closed, all while Leland remained free, 
leaving the audience with a sense of what happened, could, of what could happen next. I could see the audience accepting the fact the show changes direction from here on in if they know Laura's killer is still really there every episode. What do you think, Christian from Dublin? Hmm. It's an interesting concept. I mean, you're right that they do actually just set that up as a theor- theoretical possibility mm-hmm. um, to the point that like Truman is completely convinced that Ben Horn is the killer and they're ready to close the book on it. Yeah, I think it would have made for an interest. I mean, it would have made for potentially a more interesting series than the one that we got. And that was sort of the thing that I was thinking about when when talking about how they're just digging themselves deeper and deeper into a hole as far as the possibility space left for Twin Peaks with each episode after Leland is revealed and kills Maddie. But it's so impossible to sort of think about what. Sure. Of course. Yeah, it's completely hypothetical. Um, <clears throat> yeah, that's an interesting thought though. Uh, John Sisk writes, have either of you read reflections in oral history of twin peaks? I picked it up recently and it answers a ton of the behind the scenes sort of questions. I hear the two of you musing about in some episodes of the podcast. It's a quick read and pretty interesting though. Certain people are not in the book, like the actor who played deputy Andy, which is a shame. I thought I'd recommend it if you hadn't read it. Love the podcast. It's inspired me to watch twin peaks for the umpteenth time. And there's always something new to notice. Um, yeah, I read this email because we mentioned this. You mentioned yeah. this. Uh, we read obviously from it today. You have that book, right? I do. You yes, said that earlier. Yeah, in the Sarah, Sarah got it for me. Um, and I, I, I can't decide honestly if I want to read it before we're done with the podcast or after we're done with the podcast. I can, you know what I mean? There's I know, something I've, about I've, just having the sort of like clean reactions to yeah, these I've been enjoying having natural re- reactions and then occasionally just seeing things that people are posting right. on the forums and folding those into my perception instead of just going and diving into all of the things that I could read about Twin Peaks because there's something nice about being able to just watch the show as a viewer who's seen it before, like literally just do a rewatch, which Mm -hmm. is, you know, but yeah, again, I'm I'm sort of feeling like if we're feeling into this thing, by the time we get through Firewalk with me, we can do a few sort of ancillary episodes about some of this other content surrounding. I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. I think that'd be cool. Um, so Jerry Salinas writes in with another rejected name. He says, you guys stopped doing these rejected podcast names, which is fair enough, but considering your last names and the cast's well-established love for Norma, I think the double R should be a contender. Oh, we talked about that as an early... Oh, we did? Yeah, okay. the double R podcast with Ramon Rodkin. True. Okay, good point. Featuring... I forgot that we did that. Yes. Um, so, uh, let's see. Okay, this is something that we didn't talk about last week that I meant to talk about. So, um, my fiance Sarah wrote in, hi, Chris and Jake. I was disappointed that neither of you mentioned what is possibly the most tone-deaf line in Twin Peaks. Last episode when Major Briggs, Cooper, Albert, and Truman have seemingly impromptu gathering in the woods, Cooper drops this sentence in response to Truman's inability to believe in Bob. Quote, is it any easier to believe that a father would rape and murder his own daughter? Quote, and that line, um, oh, that, that's in reference to... That line bums me out this for the same reason that Albert's line bummed me out, where it was just like... Right, and then and so she says... Yes, yes, it is actually easier to believe that, Cooper, because that actually happens. And you as an FBI agent should be the most familiar with the horror horror that humans visit on one another. I was not happy with the way this episode concluded, but that line stands out as a particularly awful piece of writing. It turns the story of Laura Palmer into a shallow morality tale where the bad guys are bad, the good guys are good, and a father can never intentionally hurt his daughter. Thanks, and thanks for the really great podcast, Sarah. And yeah, I I, I agree with that. I think that it really, like... So there's an interesting interesting thread I noticed in the discussion... Thread. Uh, I'm sorry. An interesting sort of theme in the discussion thread about this, which is that um, often in the discussion of the Bob reveal and the Le- Bob and Leland reveal and all of these surrounding events and the fallout of that, um, it feels like there's a big um, difference in reaction from people who have seen 
Firewalk with me and people who have not seen Firewalk with me. And like, because we're on the non-spoilers section of the podcast, we can't really go into that in detail, but definitely I think people who have not yet seen the movie are, are a lot, are often, at least in our discussion threads are kind of confused by why people who have seen that movie are so unsatisfied with how the Bob and Leland stuff is presented in this episode. And so all I would say to that, if you, if you um, have not yet seen that is that it sort of presents a different interpretation. I, I would say not just an additive one, but kind of a different, actually different interpretation of what all this stuff means. Um, and I think once you've seen that, it's just a lot more, com- it's a, it feels just much more interesting and like a lot more to chew on than in, than in, in the way it's presented here. And so yep. I think people who, who do prefer that interpretation upon rewatching this, are more bothered by it, at least this is true in my case, than they were when originally yep, watching same. the show. Like, yeah. yeah, just last week, if you have watched Firewalk with me, the scene with Leland and Donna is just completely fascinating, just riveting. Oh, yeah. And then all other just explanations and plot vomit about it are just like, they just fall so flat mm-hmm. compared to the stuff in the film. Yeah. And so we'll... <laughs> Um, I'm sorry for going on about that so much because I'm sure that's inf- it's infuriating to people who haven't seen it. See you in 13 weeks anyway, about that or whatever. Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So I'll, I'll cut it off there. But I, but I, I did want to bring that up because I actually had specifically written down that line in my notes last week and I just completely forgot yeah, to Yeah, same. I just skimmed right over it. Yeah, yeah. So um, on that note, do you want to move on to spoilers? Yeah. Cool. So thank you for listening to Twin Peaks Rewatch. Um, at this point, we're going to move into the spoiler section. So as usual... If you have not seen Firewalk with Me, the movie that we keep talking about, uh, as well, and if you also have not seen the the remainder of the episodes of the TV series, please don't keep listening to this till I'm done reading off all these ways you can find us on the internet, uh, such as on Twitter at Twin at sorry at Peaks Rewatch, on Facebook at facebook.com slash Twin Peaks Rewatch, on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash Twin Peaks Rewatch. Um, you can write us email at idle thumbs at I'm sorry. I'm really losing it right now. Apparently the place you can actually write us email is twin peaks at idle And our website that presents this information more cogently than I would be able to apparently is twin peaks Also, if you've been enjoying this podcast, please, um, we would really appreciate it if you would rate us on iTunes and even maybe more importantly than that, if you've been enjoying this podcast, Tell some friends in real life or on Twitter or somewhere else mm-hmm. because word yeah. of mouth is hugely important and it's the only actual way that this podcast gets spread. Yep, for sure. Also, we've been seeing a few people – I've been seeing a few people uh, recommending Peaks Rewatch to friends who are interested in in starting mm-hmm. up on Twin Peaks. Yeah, and if you're doing great. that, thank you so much. It's awesome. Yeah, we really, it's really, really cool to see that. So thank you so much if you have done so. Um, and yeah, on that – Let's spoil stuff. Let's spoil it all. Okay, so we have a we have an email here from Jacob that he indicates is specifically for the spoiler section. From Jacob, Um, it just says Jacob, no last name. Okay, it's not me. I didn't send this. (laughs) Hey, Chris and Jake, the problem that I had with Bob and Leland in episode seventeen was that the show didn't really seem to be leading up to the fact that Bob was the quote only killer, and that Leland had no knowledge of his actions under Bob's influence. When Mike first tells us of Bob's existence, he says that Bob was his partner in crime. And while Mike is also his, quote, spirit and not someone Bob would possess, this still gives us an idea that Bob is willing to work with others. Later, Bob Mike says Bob was his, quote, familiar, 
which in mythology are subservient demons to magician masters, again implying Bob likes to partner up instead of control. The two most telling facts about how Bob and Leland's relationship in the show works are are Laura describing Bob in her diary as a friend of her father's and Bob yelling at Maddie that Leland told him she was moving back home. Firewalk with me really seems to reinforce the idea of Bob as Leland's familiar more so than his possessor in terms of how Leland acts seemingly without Bob around. Another interesting note is that familiars in mythology are traditionally handed down by a family member or a ghost of one. And in the movie, Leland and Bob try to attach Bob to Laura only to be thwarted by Mike and the angel's intervention, causing Leland to yell out, don't make me do this. He and Bob wanted to pass on Bob to Laura, but it failed, and now Laura had seen and been through way too much for the pair to leave her alone. This leaves a bit of a problem in Leland's motivation for killing Jacques, but I like to think Leland killed Jacques more so because he was messing around with Laura, who belonged to him, quote, since I don't think Leland actually was oblivious to killing her. Maybe Leland's bad thoughts were amplified by Bob, but I certainly think um, they were there and would have eventually been acted on without his presence. Leland's changes in season two are mostly him relying on Bob as an emotional familiar, thus amplifying his negative emotions even more because everything in his twisted world is falling apart and maybe some guilt over what he's done is catching up to him. Sorry for the ramble. Hopefully it was interesting. Twin Peaks, despite episode 17's I feel miswriting of Bob Leland and from episode on's last lackluster plots is my favorite show. And I've really loved your take on everything. And I'm re- really looking forward to the fire walk with me podcast. Jacob. Cool. I think that is just a good yeah that was a lot of good information especially with the sort of little dips into a kind of mythological notion of a familiar which as far as i remember is only mentioned once in the episode so it's cool yeah. to, like sort of i don't know tease that out a little bit and s- consider what it might mean this reminds me i misspoke when i was speaking for someone on the forums last week this shouldn't be in the spoiler section but whatever uh, i proposed that someone or i said that someone had proposed that leland the Bob leaving Leland was somehow in some way sort of releasing him or whatever. Um, but the, what the person meant, they corrected it. Then I went back and reread their original post was that it was kind of an F you to Leland that Bob's final act was actually fully leaving Leland and dumping Leland's entire consciousness back into his brain so that his last like 10 minutes alive is just, the, just is the miserable. full realization yeah, of yeah, everything yeah. that he's done. Yeah. Okay. And, I, also, I still don't know how accurate that is because I still don't like the idea that there's a complete wall right, in Leland's I, I brain. Agree, I agree. Yeah. But that, you know, that still is more interesting than the sort of nothing that was presented in the show. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yep. 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 <clears throat> and, uh, yes, I mean, I feel like we've talked so much about this stuff and at this point I wish we could just do the fire walk with me podcast right now <laughs> because I'm, I find all that stuff so interesting. Well, we'll but, have less to talk about in terms of fire walk with me in a couple episodes, so it's fine. That's true. Yes. That's, we'll just get deep into the. That said, um, I thought it was like, ah, Twin Peaks keeps making me so mad with how they try to cleverly seed stuff where Major Briggs was like, have you heard of a white lodge? Right. Yeah. A place yeah, yeah. called the white lodge. Anyway, goodbye. Peace. Yep. Peace out. <laughs> and like, come on. Yep. I know. Yep. 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 Well, you want to call it this week? Do you have any, do you have any other spoiler stuff? No, I'm just increasingly convinced that had Major Briggs disappeared before Cooper was put under internal investigation, they would have had so much more to work with. Yeah, I think that's fair. Because if he said, what's the White Lodge? I'm gone now. Cooper starts investigating his disappearance. He's immediately put under mm-hmm. suspension by weird people. It's interesting. But yeah. in- instead, I'm basically, yeah, the thing, the thing that I'm looking forward to is when we start talking about Firewalk with me again, excitedly in the last like two or three episodes of the show because (laughs) all of the weird sort of looped in backwards story timing uh Mm -hmm. lodge stuff will start coming up in a way that 
I think it was immediate, again going to make us go, oh, you know, I really like the way that was handled in Firewalk with right. me. <laughs> That's true. All right. Well, cool. So thanks for listening this week. We'll be back next week, of course, to talk about the 19th episode of Twin Peaks. In the meantime, send us your questions or comments if you have them to twinpeaks.idlethumbs.net or find us any of the other ways I listed before. Yep. See you next week. Bye.